Hello, and welcome to Coffee and Comics. I am Todd A. I'm Taylor Tresk. Hello, Taylor. Hey, Todd. It's another It's another week. We were actually, for those of you listening, we were sort of on hiatus last week for a number of reasons. So <laughs> we, uh, we're back. We are back again. Yes, we are. Um, it, we are recording this uh, I, I, afternoon. I would say late afternoon is what I'm going to call this. So... Mm-hmm. I'm not drinking a, a, a coffee, but um, my Instagram followers will, will know that I, I just had a peach jasmine cold brew iced tea from Coffee Bean and, and Tea Leaf, which was delicious. Oh, that's right. I saw that picture. It looked I, really good. I, I Yeah. Yesterday I had a, um, oh, what was it called? I think it was called a dark iris iced tea at uh, this place called Bad Coffee near my house. Mm. And... Um, Man, that, that may just turn into my, my go-to thing of like, have a cup of coffee in the morning, have an iced tea in the afternoon. Um, I'm not sure though. I don't know how that caffeine's going to affect me. How about yourself? Uh, I am drinking, I, I have been on the, uh, on the wagon for coffee this <gasps> t- last two weeks. So I'm, I'm, I'm way into it now. I am drinking the double zero blend from the folks at Loyal Coffee here in Colorado Springs. Um, Loyal Coffee, for those of you who don't know, is kind of the... I mean, and I, I buy a lot of stuff from Switchback too, as you know, but Loyal is kind of like thought of as like the sort of premium coffee shop down here slash roastery. Um, mm. And they have this double zero blend and it's uh, flavor notes are chocolate, stone fruit, whatever that is, and citrus. And you do get, if you make it correctly, you do get glimpses of that. I, I popped it in a uh, French press and um, it is definitely needed right now. So... Oh. <laughs> Uh, you're a, you're a, you can drink coffee in the afternoon and evening. Oh, uh-huh. heck yeah. I mean, I, I've even drank coffee and have taken a nap directly after. Um, yeah. so it's, it, it's never usually, it, it, very rarely does it put me in a manic state where I can't go to sleep. It's, it's almost, it's like, I need it to just kind of get across the finish line most of the day. Yeah, I understand that. Um, so we've, we've done the first part of the name of the show, but what, what is the rest of our show? What do we do on this show today? <laughs> Well, this Todd, as as you know, but as for those of you who don't know, Coffee and Comics, Todd and I sit down and we review each a comic or graphic novel that we are reading or or interested in in a particular week. We try to find books that you haven't heard of yet, or maybe it's a book that you've had your eye on, but you're just like, I don't know how I can get into this. Um, We cover everything from the big two to a lot of indie trades and a lot of, uh, you know, really kind of left of center books as well we're sort of i like i like to jokingly refer to us as like the kids at the end of reading rainbow where you know lavar goes you don't have to take my word for it and he cuts to the kids and that, we're we're that only for comics and we're not kids but we're young at heart yeah is that is that too much no i think so and i think uh you know um i i, I think the only part you may have left out is that we don't know what the other has chosen that's right and so i'm about to learn right now what did you read this week as I told you before we started recording, I had to look and make sure that I hadn't covered this book already. A, we've done quite a few episodes, so I'm starting to lose track of what I have and haven't read yet. But this particular book, I, I have referenced so many times in previous episodes, I think that's where I was confused. And I double-checked and triple-checked, and no, we have not covered this yet. And God help me, if I, if I somehow miss it and you laugh at me, then I'll just review it anyway. It is uh, a seminal work. It is by one of the best writer uh, storytellers in the medium. And it's actually his very, very first 
book he ever did. I'm, of course, talking about Jonathan Hickman's The <laughs> Nightly News. The oh. Nightly News. Yes, yes. Um, I am a big Hickman fan, as you all know. And this is actually the book that got me into Hickman you know, whole cloth. I was, I was loosely familiar with him. I'd known, I'd started, I had seen his name in, in you know, books and things as it relates to um, Fantastic Four or um, any of the Avengers sort of spinoff books that he was working on. But this is the real, this is kind of my first big deep dive into his work. I specifically am going to be talking about the hardcover anniversary edition. Um, beautiful book. It's, it collects all the individual issues and it's got a lot of DVD extras at the back. Um, quite a few. Uh, we'll get into those two as I, as I go through it. The series was a limited series. It came out in um, 2006, ended in 2007. I believe, let me fish through here. I believe it's like five or six issues all together. Six, six issues all together. Uh, published by Image. And like I said, it was Hickman's very first work. He wrote and did the art for it which is when you see it, it, it's just mind bending how all of this is like, just this is his first work. I, I, I just, it's, it is unbelievable. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to be so bold as to call it one of, if not the most astonishing debuts in comics. Cause it's just, it's so jam packed um, with stuff. Here's the synopsis uh, in quotes. I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take this anymore. As an act of violence spirals out of control to encompass the entirety of the news media, a cult has emerged from the errors and retractions that have ruined careers, marriages, and even lives. Under direction from their cult master, The Hand, uh, they lead an army of followers committed to revolution, willing to die for their cause. So the whole thing is kind of a giant... What's the word? What's the word? What's the word? It's, It's a giant polemic. Um, you know, the characters don't really matter so much. They're, they're almost exclusively archetypes, archetypes. This entire piece is Hickman's commentary on the news media, on the culture of, of celebrity in terms of news and information, and also just the culture of, of cults and, and conspiracies. And it's, it blows my mind that he did this in 2006, because there's not a better time for this book to be out in the world than 2018. Like it's, it's prescient beyond belief uh, when you, when you sort of think about where we are now and what he, what he put in this book, I'll give you kind of a quick, quick rundown of the story itself. Uh, I don't, where do I, where do I start? The whole thing kicks off with um, uh, an assassination. Uh, Somebody on in a, a top floor of a building assassinates a journalist and everybody freaks out and more journalists show up to investigate and uh are you still there oh yeah okay sorry i just got really quiet i I looked and i was like oh shit am i just talking to myself no so so he he assassinates the uh, the journalist assassinated more journalists and more news media show up to cover the event and the uh, gunman starts picking them off too and it kind of creates this this just utter sense of chaos and you realize that the guys doing the shooting are part of this cult and they take their orders from this guy named john guyton who goes by the hand of the voice or just the hand. And he has, he gets his orders from this, um, just this tape recorder uh, that they don't, you know, from this, this character called the voice. They don't, um, you never see the voice until the very, 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 very end. 
Uh, it's a big twist. Uh, you don't you don't really get a sense of them. And they don't even know who the voice is. They just get these tape recordings that sort of guide them through, you know, what you know, all their their missions and what they're supposed to do. So there's kind of this blind faith to the cause that this this cult goes through. But their their purpose is to completely disrupt journalism and the news media, and then by extension, things like politics and economics. But to mm. really just completely disrupt news completely show it as the farce it is and how in bed all of these people are with politicians with business interests um all that kind of stuff as they're as they're creating their chaos the heads they kind of jumps back and forth between different scenes the heads of all these media conglomerates are lobbying a senator to help them with this problem (laughs) so that they're you know they're trying to pass all this like emergency legislation so that they themselves don't get killed too like everybody's freaking out that they're going to be next that something's going to happen and they're going to die um and then it jumps back and forth between that and then also it flashes back to john guyton's life before he met the previous hand uh the guy who was the hand before him recruits him and you get to see sort of that what the sort of that conditioning and and you know the kind of person he he is and how the cult preyed on him. So it's it's not just a straight up commentary and satire of the news. It's also a satire of cults and cult thinking. So it's just like it, it's so damn satisfying. It weaves it together in just this beautiful way. There's a lot of twists and turns. Some of them you see coming. Some of them you don't. All of them are incredibly satisfying. All the same. The thing that I really want to point out, and this is this is the I mean the story itself is amazing, but the artwork is probably equally important, if not more so. so. The way Hickman illustrated this, he didn't just draw freeform characters and things. He did a lot of photo references. And for those of you who don't know, photo references when you take you, know, you you almost stage a shot of a person or a scene, and then you trace over it, or you you know you use it uh, as a really solid base reference, and then you can add on to it. But you're you're basically basing your art on these photos that you that you shoot ahead of time. He did that, and then on top of that, he layered it with all these sort of graphic design kind of textures, and you know like slanted bars and paint splotches, and all these different kinds of like really cool, edgy graphic designy kind of things. Um, that he actually he carried a lot of that trend on into other books. Um, Pax Romana, East of West has little touches of that, but this is the the book that has it. Like it's, it's all that. And then on top of that, and probably most interesting, he layers in a lot of infographics that support the statistics of, of how the story is evolving. So like, for example, um, I'm trying to find my, I had it flagged in just, a yeah, second. I was just looking at one, I, you know, I was going through a Google image search and stuff. Um, and actually, I just clicked on one when you said that about infographics because I thought, wait, is this from the comic? Yeah, yeah, and they're, and they're layered in right. Like he really subverts the uh, the grid structure, and yeah. in you know both in terms of just how he presents the characters. I mean, everything is layered. It's very layered. It's not the traditional panels at all. Like every once in a while, you'll see something that kind of sneaks in. That's that's a little traditional, but for the most part, it's um, you know it's it's very layered, very int- you know very dense in terms of the information being presented for example going back to the infographics um you know one of the scenes talks about like when the when the the kind of the the heads of these media conglomerates meet to sort of talk about how to to stymie all this there's an, a giant full page infographic that shows consolidation the six largest media companies in the world you know it, it gives real ones too time warner news corp Viacom. it kind of ranks them it shows like you know you know how much money you know how you know what their holdings are um, you know, what kind of money they make, just little things like that, that really flesh out the story, give you the real world sort of commentary of, of, you know, the, the story itself is fictional, but all of these stats, all this information 
really, really good. Another one is um, uh, uh, shows about the uh, uh, kind of the, the adverse effects of Ritalin. You know, so they were talking about behavior modification in, in one of the pages, and it cuts to this infographic that really uh, gives you the harmful effects, you know, uh, how children react to it, just all this stuff. And so you're learning so much as you go, and it, just, it reinforces the, the nature of the story. The, uh, the color palette is very, uh, very muted, monochrome, you know, monochrome, lots of grays and browns and blues um, or, or grays and browns and, and oranges. Um, and he uses the color to mainly give you a sense of time. When he flashes back, it, it reverts into the blues. For the most part, the story is in the oranges, um, yeah. but still very, you know, very, very muted. Very, you know, it's it's very appropriate for the story being told because it really lets you just take in the the dialogue. You know, a lot of there's pages where there's just a, a ton of speech bubbles just everywhere. Um, so it's you know he really got into the the script of it. You know, I could easily see this turned into a. As I usually say, a, a great TV show on HBO or Stars. You know, this could be an amazing, you know, m- you know, TV movie or three-part miniseries. I think this is the best format for it because you're not going to get those infographics as easily. You're just not going to. There's something kind of unsettling about the silence that accompanies just reading it. You know, like when you see like a, you know, some some guy's talking and he's making this this point, and he just gets his head just gets blown off. And so you just, you know, <laughs> if you don't if you don't hear a gunshot. It's it's all the more startling when you see you know you turn the page and you see that that has just happened. So this is definitely the best format for it. Um, but yeah, it's just he's again I, I can't stress enough how mind-boggling it is. This was Hickman's first um, first entry into comics. This for some creators this could be their magnum opus, right? And this was his first <laughs> very first thing. So well, does he? ever use like i got a bunch of random questions does he ever use like a traditional panel storytelling in this a little bit every once in a while something will sneak in you know like i'm looking at a page right now where it's you know uh the you know three by three grid and it's you know it's between two characters and it's just chock full of speech bubbles so you'll see that once in a while but for the most part it's a lot of layered stuff going on you know, you'll see like maybe a silhouette of somebody and then like an action shot layered on top of that. And then a shadow and a little infographic on top of that. And they're all connected. Um, so it's just like the, his composition is just amazing. I, 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 and it's how many pages is this? It's at least it's a, maybe a hundred pages, hundred plus pages. So like the, the time it must've taken to just you know, lay all these pages out, like look at it. He, he delves into that, into the, um, and the behind the scenes sort of featurettes in the back, mm. he has an entire section on just the process, how he drew it, um, wow. how long it took him, how he sort of, you know, he's got different, how he went through different variations of each page, how he really utilized color to tell the story. Like he thought about everything. Like, and he went really into the details too. So wow. I, uh, yeah, it's, it's, there's some traditional elements, but this is, and we've seen a lot of, I mean, like there's been a lot of innovation since this um, doesn't, doesn't, make this any less innovative but i can't imagine how mind-blowing this must have been in 2006 if you hadn't seen anything like this before it it must have just melted your mind because it's so ahead of its time it's so interesting and just you know prescient like i said compared to where we are now think about all the times you've i mean all the regardless of what you where you 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 are uh, you fall politically or philosophically or ideologically like this is very relevant in the world we're living in right now um so just from that standpoint alone, it's, it's worth picking up, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have talked to me about this uh, book and it probably maybe mentioned it like 
a couple times like in passing i don't think we've ever done a big dive into it because i've certainly not looked at this art before and i know you had described it to me as like the graphic design element Mm -hmm. um and what i imagined at the time when you were telling me about the story and the and the graphic design elements was like there would be sort of a traditional panel uh you know story and then there would be maybe a splash page that was a graphic designed page but this is it is so uh completely like uh, you know woven into the 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 whole like every page that I'm looking at has those graphic design elements and like it's nothing like it's not all infographics but it's definitely not a traditional comic format even though it looks like you said like I, this does look like the perfect medium for this I mean it's yeah. just I like one thing I would I would note um, is that the sort of speech bubbles are all sort of uh, round edged uh, rectangles so they're not like you know superhero bubbles and then the type inside it is pretty clearly like you know computer type it's not Mm -hmm. it's not done in that way that's meant to look like handwriting at all yeah there's no lettering uh yes and it it kind of reminds me of that um that style of this this comic book that or a comic strip that ran during the uh the bush era called get your war on Mm where it was just always this, like these two guys talking on the phone, like in a, a office setting, it was just sort of three panel, you know, strip sort of format, but clearly like, you know, just, just created and designed on a computer. And so there's, but it's not that minimal. Uh, uh, in other words, nightly news is not that minimal, but it, it does make me think like that, you know, that was approximately the same era as this, because mm-hmm. we're talking about, you know, 2004 to 2008 or however long mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. strip ran and, you know, Hickman would have surely been aware of it. And uh, yeah, it kind of fits into that uh, visual language of the time. But uh, yeah, it's, this is like fascinating to, to hear you talk about it because again, I <laughs> can't believe that <laughs> Hickman, like on one hand, it's like, oh man, Hick- Hickman has so many books that are about sort of like cults and, uh, you know, and, and media and fringe groups. And, and I, that's, those are all things that I'm really interested in. And I can't believe I have read so little of him. Oh my God. It's, and, it, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because we recently, uh, in a previous episode reviewed, um, black Monday murders, which yeah. is a Hickman joint uh, with another artist and Hickman. in that one does, he explores further, just like the, the financial system, you know, like the financial banking system, the, you know, cults, the, you know, things like the Bilderberg group and all of that. Like he, that's what that's about. And you can kind of see the seeds of that. He, you know, he, he was exploring that here. It's like, as he's matured as a, as an artist and a creator, the black Monday murders is kind of the, the natural extension of that. Um, yeah. You know, so it's, it's, and even I've, I've noticed kind of the way he, the way his characters kind of strike a pose in nightly news and the way they sort of interact with each other. Black Monday murders is kind of like this, the spiritual grandchild to this. It's visually very different, uh, but stylistically it's not that far off. You know, it's not that, not that different. One thing I will mention about the art too, that I, that's, that's kind of worth noting because he does the um, photo mapping and kind of the photo referencing. um, He doesn't usually show you a character's eyes. Uh, He does. You'll see eyes once in a while, but when you do, it's, it's usually for a very specific reason. And for the most part, the eyes are usually blocked out or covered in shadow. Yeah. So you see all these characters looking at each other and kind of looking at you and you really can't see their eyes. So it's, it adds this sort of unsettling element to everything too. You don't really know who to trust. And then when you do see their eyes, like it's, 
they're usually lying to another character. So even then you're like, well, I can't trust any of these people, which is kind of the point, right? Like that's, you're, you're not supposed to really, you're not, you, you can't really take a side in the story. It, it just kind of opens it up for you to, to use it as an exploration of your own feelings about the media and about cults. One thing I was doing some research before the episode, I found a great uh, review of the book and they, they, ma- they mentioned the following. I just, I want to kind of quote it real quick. Um, he satirizes the media to be sure, but he's also, he being Hickman is also deft enough to satirize the brotherhood or this cult that they're talking about. Um, and one that does this cult does to its members much of what Hickman accuses the media of doing, being mm-hmm. um, that Guyton and Jones, Guyton is the is the hand, claim to be free only because the Brotherhood has lifted the veil from their eyes regarding the media's influence. But have they substituted that indoctrination for a different one? And I feel like, mm-hmm. especially today, a lot of the people who you know everything from crazy shit like the flat earthers. Um, to like, you know, the more, more like the people who think, uh, a Bohemian Grove is, is sinister. It, a lot of that is, is very much like, you know, the people who are shirking the, you know, like, I'm not, you know, I'm not a system stooge, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a government stooge yet. They'll, they'll quickly sign up for the ideology and the indoctrination of these kind of le- very strange cult kind of thing yes it's it is a really good commentary and you kind of see it you kind of like the the brotherhood at first but then you're like man these guys are just as blind you know like there'll, there'll be some really cool scenes where it'll show the the brotherhood talking amongst themselves you know they just got a message from the voice and then it will juxtapose that with like the heads of the media companies and you're like oh all these guys are just the same like hmm. there nothing is nobody's really righteous here at the end of the day like there there's just people doing things it's i can reminds me a lot of the joker uh, Heath Ledger's Joker, where he's just like, I don't have a plan. I just do things. <laughs> There's a little yeah. of that, you know, just kind of this sort of surrender to chaos that sort of consumes the story. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I like that you brought that up um, it, because you were making me, um, I, th- I think I mentioned this to you when I was in Denver a couple weeks ago, that you ought to check out this movie uh, that was not made by, but but stars. Uh, oh my God, I'm going to horribly mispronounce this philosopher's name. Uh, Slava Zizek. Um, I think he's the Slovenian. I think that's his uh, nationality. Um, anyway, he, he has this movie called The Pervert's Guide to Ideology and where he examines sort of the, the ideology and that's represented in several movies. But one of them is They Live, the classic Rowdy Roddy Piper um, <laughs> movie <laughs> where he gets these sunglasses that sort of show him you know, the, the way like things really are like, you know, mm-hmm. when he's walking down the street, looking at a billboard ad and he puts the sunglasses on, he sees, you know, it's like consume or whatever. Um, it has, it has the obey in it that shepherd fairy sort of famously, uh, adopted for his Andre, the giant, um, you know, obey clothing line mm-hmm. and design company. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, Zizek, uh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, explains in the movie, like how it, the, the real, symbol should be taking the glasses off (laughs) to see the truth, you know, like Mm -hmm. the media and uh, consumer culture has actually put the glasses on us. And we're not, it's just a, an interesting thing to, I I don't know that flashed through my head as you're talking about that. And I'm thinking like Hickman's Hickman is kind of putting those glasses on us and saying, no, look like the media is turning you into believers, just like the cults are. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, you're turning into this follower, which is also very uh, germane and on point to conversations you and I have had off air about mm-hmm. cults and media and politics and stuff. So, yeah, this is like, again, Hickman 
pushing all the buttons that I really like. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and I, I'll tell you what, what else is great about you picking this book this week is uh, uh, that you will find out uh, with my book pick is also in a <laughs> linear <laughs> style from things that uh, we have just discussed uh, is that now there's like, we have a great sort of intro to Jonathan Hickman and, and more than just an intro, but like a history of his work outlined on episodes of coffee and comics. Yeah. So it's sort of like, listen to one of these episodes where Taylor's talking about this, go get that book. And then you, you're automatically going to know what else to check out next. Like that, you know, this just falls in line with all of his other work. I mean, let me, on, on that note, let yeah. me give you uh, because I got this and was so smitten with it. I went back to the same shop. I, I picked this up in Portland uh, in 2015 when I kind of did my first tour of all their amazing comic shops. And this was at um, bridge city comics, which is just a fantastic little shop. But I went back and I was like, what else do you guys have? That's, that's as good as this. And they <laughs> handed me Pax Romana and oh, Pax Romana was his second. I believe it's his second book. It's second or third, but it is stylistically is exactly the same. Um, he wrote, uh, wrote the story and then did the art again, much wow. in the same way. A lot of that photorealism, but in the kind of the twist, you know, like if, if the, if sort of the visual twist of, of nightly news is the inclusion of infographics, the twist in Pax Romana is he's got pages and pages where, um, he'll just give you the script. He won't even draw anything. So you just see like mm. the, the dialogue, especially if there's characters that are about to have a meeting or there's like a lot of back and forth dialogue. He'll just give you the dialogue. So then all of a sudden you're reading essentially like a novel and then it cuts back again. And just, I don't even want to tease that book any more than that. Cause it's such a, a, a just an amazing premise again, um, completely unrelated. But if you like nightly news and you want like you're anxious to just devour something else in a very similar vein, go get Pax Romana. Cause you won't be disappointed. Now what uh, I, I could be way off on this, but there's another book that we have talked about that, that got too real in um, the, you know, current political age that was put on hiatus. Uh, that's about a, uh, a candidate uh, later. Citizen was a, Jack. Was that a Hickman title? No. Citizen oh. Jack is uh, who, and I have it on my shelf. Let me see. Give it's me definitely, I mean, it's an image title. Um, yeah. If you, I mean, talk about a, talk about a prescient book. I mean, it's, it was meant to be sort of a parody of the Trump campaign and then Trump won and they stopped doing it. It's by uh, <laughs> Sam Humphreys, Tony Patterson, John Alderink and Rachel Deering. And okay. uh, volume one is out, but they have not. I, funny enough, I tweeted them cause I was like, man, are you guys going to keep this going? And I got a response back from one of those, one of those folks going, uh, I, th I think they were, I think they were sort of scared that they, you know, that they sort of, uh, you know, uh, chaos magic their way into like the Trump <laughs> presidency. <laughs> and I'm just like, they're just kind of like, well, we're not, it, it got too real. We're, we're done. And it, if you know anything about the book, it's, you can kind of see why they'd say that, but it was just, I got well, a little I, bit. I was, that. yeah, I was just getting that confused with Pax Romana, <clears throat> which I was also frantically Googling as you were saying that. But um, it, what also is appealing to me about Pax Romana and um, Nightly News now is knowing that they were like intentionally limited series, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, which is a thing uh, that's a little bit overwhelming about getting into Hickman via East of West, which is. Mm -hmm. Good. I mean, that's that's my problem. Is it is beautiful, and I love the story, and I want to read it all. But there are so many volumes, and they're almost done. It's like, okay, when this is over, I'll <laughs> get into it, and it won't disappoint me. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think I've 
I think I've <laughs> produced this uh, uh, this anecdote before, but it's like when I started listening to the Smiths, they had already been broken up for several years, and a friend ah. was like, "Well, they'll never disappoint you." <laughs> <laughs> That's a great and, point. Yeah, it's like you know, uh, for nightly news and Pax Romana, like you're not going to be disappointed. And East of West, we're you know, man, how many volumes are they through that uh, they have not disappointed yet? Um, so they're up like to their 11. third omnibus uh, <laughs> yeah. year three. So yeah, it's uh, that, that that's that, but in some ways East of West is just a giant version of this where it, there was yeah. always going to be an end point. He wasn't just going to do it. East of West is not like Savage Dragon where he's going to be doing it in 10, you know, 20 more years. Like there's an end game to that book and it's, we're almost there. Um, so yeah, but this is, this is a great example of, just a really nice consolidated piece of work. I mean, you get, you get a sense of his brain and, and his point of view as an artist uh, as soon as you put down this book. I mean, you just, and again, you want more, you're just like, you know, what else does he have? That's this good. Some of his other stuff isn't, you know, especially early on red, uh, is it red wing or no red mass for Mars? I, I kind of had hoped would be a little bit better than it was hmm. still interesting, but this, I mean, if you want talk about an artist that just you know hit the ground running and then like just yeah. none of this is disappointing um so yeah pick up pick up the nightly news by john hickman and, and like i said i highly recommend getting the hardcover anniversary edition you will not be disappointed awesome uh and i would imagine in the hardcover is where you're going to get all those dvd extras as you call them yes absolutely you get you get the entire script of issue one you get uh, a bunch of pages on his process he even gives you like the pantone colors and things that he chose and why and talks through it so if you're even curious about the the craft of comics or the craft of graphic novels like this is incredibly instructive um and just like such a really good little i mean like it it enhances as most of these DVD extras do, especially I, you know, when we reviewed um, vision, just all of this enhances your appreciation of the story. You don't have to read them before you jump in, but after you're done, it's just, it's really nice to kind of you know, bang through this and get a sense of exactly what he was going through when he wrote it. Well, uh, awesome. This is another Hickman book. I've got to add to my list in, <laughs> in keeping with the theme of like through lines for the past few episodes. Mm-hmm. And also with what you just mentioned about having an end in sight, uh, I have done something different this week and it, it is not, I'm not talking about a specific trade or even a specific arc. Uh, well, in the larger sense of a story, but just the ending of an arc, which is that Jane Foster uh, finally fell in battle as mm. the mighty Thor and they have ended their run uh, with Jane Foster as Thor um, and so I had, uh, knowing that was coming, um, I had grabbed, uh, issues 704, 705 and 706, um, and, uh, which is the end of her run. And then there was a, like a special one-off called at the gates of Valhalla, uh, which had two short stories in it. And I picked that up and then I just, you know, in reading them all, I went, Hey, actually this, this is probably enough to, to talk about this book and, and how it's wrapped up. And um, especially because I t I've talked about the unworthy Thor uh, limited series recently. And of course we mentioned Thor and the infinity gauntlet podcast. Um, so yeah, that's, <laughs> that's what I went with this week. Um, <clears throat> so my, you know, a little background on that is I've definitely mentioned when Marvel did this, I, you know, again, forgive me, I am not the super uh, detail nerd on all of this, but but back, I guess, in 2015, Marvel had 
launched several titles where um, major characters changed. That was when uh, Sam Wilson became Captain America, where X-23 became the new Wolverine. Um, Miles Morales is Spider-Man. Uh, I don't know if that was included in that. Um, yeah, boy, I, we, we should get a Spider-Man expert on this. Cause I, I, as, as far as I know, there's, I think now there's at least like (laughs) how many spider people are there? I don't know. I think Peter Parker's still Spider-Man and Miles is like another Spider-Man. Spider family. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's analogous to the bat family. There's just so many bat bat family. Yeah. Spider, uh, uh, Gwen and Silk. And, uh, anyway, um, uh, sorry. So <clears throat> at that time, uh, Jane Foster picked up the hammer um, and the, fr- so they had put it out. I think it was a, a separate title for mighty Thor. Okay. Um, and it was called the goddess of thunder. And I had uh, read and probably talked about volumes one. And I think volume two, uh, you know, on our show, um, which uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, I'm I'm trying to check that to make sure it was. So it looks like that title was called Thor: uh, Colon the Goddess of Thunder. Okay, um, and those first the first volume was really about this mystery of who is this woman that is now Thor, you know, and um, and it was also uh, the anger of Odinson at. Um, not, you know, not having the power anymore and, and sort of, you know, it was, it was obviously it was origin focused, but they planted these seeds that have now run through five or six volumes of trade paperbacks, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's so gratifying to see the end of this. And I don't, so I, I, true confession, I kind of tuned out when it, when it turned into the mighty Thor and Jane was just the canon Thor, you know, like running through, uh, the normal Mighty Thor comics um, for however many issues that was over the past three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I saw her in a couple of comics. I just didn't, you know, I knew like, hey, I just, I can't jump in midstream here. I saw the origin. I'll have to check in later. Kind of like East of West. Um, mm-hmm. And it is, uh, but they, they planted these seeds in these, you know, in those first Goddess of Thor books about, one we've talked about before, which was <clears throat> her, the wrinkle for her is that uh, Jane Foster is battling cancer mm-hmm. and that every time she picks up the hammer, she has all the power of Thor, but it undoes her last session of chemotherapy because it's like, you know, her body transforms or something. So actually being Thor is killing her. Mm. Um, and <clears throat> I, so in this final battle, which is against this, uh, this monster called Mangog, uh, which is just a, it's just a giant monster. And of course, because I jumped in at seven Oh four, I don't really know why they're battling this person. Uh, but it starts with her in the hospital in seven Oh four issue seven Oh four. And sort of, there is a flashback to her mother's death. Um, and then a flashback to her father's death. And there's this, you know, really short and simple story of how she doesn't believe in, God or gods, you know, mm-hmm. uh, she thinks she's alone in the world and, uh, you know, and then there's, it, that's just sort of w- woven through there, but it also, you know, when it opens up and you see a woman in a hospital bed with a scarf around her head, you, you just, I automatically assumed like that's Jane, 
mm-hmm. it wasn't. It was, you know, it's her mother in that scene. Oh, um, okay. And so you're, you're sort of piecing it together. And then again, I don't know if they explored this in the last several volumes, but they wrap up this mystery of how the hammer got lost by Odinson and how, you know, Jane Foster managed to pick it up. Like it's, it's really weird. You're sort of like, why is Jane Foster? Why was she ever on the moon and able to pick up this? You know, it's like, what a goofy thing to happen. Um, And that is, that is wrapped up here. Is it a satisfying conclusion? It is. I, 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 everything about this was very satisfying. Um, And I, you know, as I was reflecting on this, I, I was thinking how, how just sort of like moved I was by these details of the story um, and not that they are like excessively like emotional or maudlin or something, but it was just, I, I think the experience I was having was, I feel like this is a human that I can know who gains the powers of Thor mm. and not in the reverse where you feel like, oh, it's a God named Thor who gets more superpowers when he has this hammer, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, Thor is already pretty indestructible. You know, it doesn't matter if he's carrying the hammer or not. Yeah. yeah. Um, so see that fragility of Jane Foster's life, uh, you know, matched with this like invulnerability of the, the powers of Thor. That's what made this really compelling. Mm. And um, watching her, you know, it, it's not like a big, long decision. She realizes Odinson and Odin, are battling this monster named uh, Mangog and that they will be defeated unless she picks up the hammer one more time. She also knows that one more time will kill her. You know, mm. the, she will not be able to, she will, she will change back to Jane Foster and the chemotherapy will have n- not have worked and she will be dead. Um, and so uh, uh, that's, but that's what she does. You know, that's the, that's the duty kind of thing. You know, that's the power of Thor. So, <clears throat> then there's also this great struggle of that we see in Odinson where he can't believe she's defeated uh, mm. by this monster. Now, now in that defeat, she also defeats the monster, you know, but it's a, it's, you know, sort of a, it's a double-edged sword where they, they both fall. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, you know, I just, I just found this like, what a satisfying conclusion to this. Um, on a technical aspect. So this has been, I think it's been Jason Aaron all along, definitely at the beginning and at the the writer. Yes. And he, he also wrote the unworthy Thor, the style of unworthy Thor that I talked about a couple weeks ago is so similar to the work on goddess of thunder and the mighty Thor, but it is a different artist. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) I crap closed my Wikipedia page. Uh, It's Russell uh, Dowderman is the illustrator. And I think he must've, I think these two were together for the whole run. Uh, But again, I I could be wrong about that. I know Dowderman started with goddess of thunder and he wraps up this arc. And so uh, obviously the art is so consistent and the writing is so consistent and you feel like they probably had a whole bunch of different adventure adventures with Jane as Thor in between. But the end of this whole story of her you know, really it like it wraps up those things that they planted at the very beginning. And it, that makes it oh, just so satisfying, so gratifying, you know, to, to get through that whole thing. Um, and then a couple of weeks ago, they, they did this one shot at the gates of Valhalla, uh, which is sort of like, it, um, 
I, I guess I thought it would sort of mean more um, emotionally in the story. I really thought, okay, this is actually going to show what happens when Jane Foster is carried to Valhalla. You know, mm-hmm. like this, this is going to be the rest of that story. Um, and it, and it, it really isn't, it's more like a, like, a, like what's called like an, you know, an annual issue where they, they just sort of farm it out to different writers and artists and, uh, okay. and uh, they come up with different stuff. Now I believe Aaron wrote both of the stories in that, um, but it has different artists. Yes, that's correct. Uh, Jason Aaron wrote both stories, but Jen Bartel did one of them. And then uh, Ramon Perez did uh, the second one. And uh, the first story, which is called the tomorrow girls is about the granddaughters of Odinson um, and how they time travel back and meet Jane Foster. Oh, wow. When she's <laughs> Thor. This, uh, um, well, they know that she has been Thor. Got it. And so that they travel back and meet her as Jane Foster. Um, and so there's sort of a neat little, fan perspective there. Um, and then the second story is all about Malekith, the dark elf. And it, it was really, really fun and it looked cool, but um, yeah, it was, this was, this was not sort of the perfect cherry on the, you know, <laughs> on the Sunday that I thought it would be. This was just more like an annual to kind of close the book on Jane Foster and, um, and her time as Thor and move on from there. But it's really those, those issues of like 704, 705 and 706 that, uh, have that whole, the fall of Thor, um, you know, and Jane Foster's death and yeah, just the conclusion of that whole arc. It is, um, yeah. You mentioned really- Ramon Perez. If, if you're interested, if anybody wants to go back and see my favorite work of him, go find a tale of sand written by Jim Henson. Oh, people. that's right. I knew that's that name Ramon was familiar. Perez, uh, illustrated. And it's fantastic. So now I'm actually, I need to go back and find these issues of uh, of Thor too because I'm curious how he draws those. Yeah, it's uh, there was a you know, it's it this this issue is cool to me because um, in that first I think it must have been the first year of her as Thor. Um, you know, there was an annual that came out with a, several short stories, and I thought they were all kind of fun offshoots. You know, that didn't have to take place within the storyline or anything. Um, <clears throat> so to me, it was it was a, it was a good wrap up, like, and a, a good salute in that sense, but it, it just, what, you know, I was, I was kind of expecting a different, you know, at the, with the name at the gates of Valhalla, I thought like, Oh God, this is going to be like this epic arc of several issues, you know, of yeah, yeah. taking her off to Valhalla and something like that. Um, I'll say there is, there's like a little uh, twist that I don't want to spoil in the ending of the, the canon arc of her, of the fall of Thor. Um, but even that twist, like, it, you know, it could, it could kind of go either way. Sometimes you get those twists where you're sort of, that's just sort of a, a groaner of a twist, like, ah, oh, of course, you know, but just the way it was presented, I went, I, I get it. Like that, that was a good way to do that and sort of wrap up this story. Um, yeah. So that's, I hope that's not super unsatisfying for me to say that in that way, but it just, just my point of like, you know, I read these uh, four issues and, and thought, this is a perfect little story on its own. So is the, uh, how do they play up her sort of self-sacrifice um, 
in you know she 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 joins in because she knows thor you know the real thor and odin aren't gonna win how do, do they play that up is it does it do you really feel the emotional impact of that i'm curious how that was staged i i think so because um now uh, 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 the difficult thing here is that um I, when I knew this arc was ending and I knew I was going to go get it. And I grabbed, <laughs> I grabbed them in reverse order. I had missed seven Oh five the week it came out mm-hmm. and my shop was supposed to get reprintings of it and they never did. And so I bought that on comiXology. So I do not have it open in front of me to refer to, but so I may be naming the issues incorrectly, but um, seven Oh four sets up that short arc in such a good way that the sacrifice feels better during the battle because it really works as like a, a, a three act play. And again, oh, I, don't know, I don't know if something happened in like 702 and 703 where the, the battle with Mangog was established. That may be the case, but if you just read these three as a three act, it's like she's already in the hospital and struggling with her cancer. And 704 has those flashbacks to like, you know, her mother's death and her father's death and when she met Thor and when she said this to Thor. And it's like, there's a couple of little flashback scenes where you're, it's really established like where these characters are in the universe emotionally. And then 705 gets to be like the big, there's no, there's a bunch of action in 704 where it's just Odinson and Odin battling the monster. But 705 gets to be that sort of action set, you know, it's like the act two and then 706 is really, I mean, the, you know, the cover is, is uh, like almost all white, just Jane bald with the hammer like on her chest and that inscription on it. So, you know, when it opens, Thor has fallen and she is lying on the moon surrounded by several Asgardians. And, you know, we're at that moment in the story. I see. And, okay. So it's, uh, I, yeah, I feel like, you know, you um, when you talk about that sacrifice that she had to make in this battle, I, I think 704, you know, it does that thing that comics are supposed to do. It, it shows, it doesn't tell. Yeah, so it yeah. shows these flashbacks of like how we got here emotionally with Jane Foster, you know, how she went from an unbeliever uh, to, be- to believing sort of in herself and in, uh, you know, Thor Odinson and... And here it is. And she just, you know, it's like I said, it's a real automatic choice when she realizes they're, they're going to fall without her. And if they fall, it means like the end of all these, uh, you know, uh, citizens of Asgard. So she Uh has to step in and do it. So, yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I have a couple of the volumes of the mighty Thor that I grabbed during that crazy comiXology sale that we mentioned a few episodes Mm -hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I'm just even more excited to go back. This is kind of like your version of like when you just <laughs> flip to the end of a book or yeah, yeah. Netflix <laughs> viewing where you watch the first episode and the last I've kind of got those bookends. So now I can go back and just read the, the shorter arcs in between and, and not feel like I'm, you know, missing out on anything. Well, I want to go back to the episode where you first introduced this. Cause I know you were sort of excited about back in a, back when we did the Todd and Taylor show, uh, more as a kind of a just you know kind of a potluck sort of show we did a yeah we did a a coffee we sort of did a comics review i remember you talking about um the jane foster thor and uh that yeah i've seen her pop i think we even mentioned she pops up in that vision book too because they sort of keep that in canon as well so like it's just it's such an interesting premise and i know that when it first launched 
it wasn't clear that it was Jane Foster because the way she, the, you know, the female Thor is presented, she's got like the helmet that covers her eyes. Yep. Um, you know, she's bulkier. She's it's, it's kind of like Adora turning into Shira. You know, it's not, it's not entirely clear <laughs> um, to borrow a He-Man reference again, but yeah, it's, it's really cool to see this conclude. And um, I, now that it has concluded, I'm going to kind of do the East to West thing that you talk about, which is like, I think I might jump into this now. Cause it's like, I see the end point. Um, I yeah, also, you know, I would also say again, uh, you know, accepting that I haven't seen the this whole arc because uh, you know, whole arc is usually five or six issues. Um, but I would say whenever this trade comes out, it's almost one of those things where you could grab those first two trades of the Goddess of Thunder, oh, and yeah, grab yeah. the last one of the Mighty Thor, and feel like, hey, I got I got sort of this great story on on its own here, and check into the other books, you know, from time to time, like it. Uh, yeah, it was just, and it's and it's very cool too that there is a a world of Thor now that I care about, which is you know largely happens in space. That was something I brought up with the unworthy Thor, um, you know, and it's not. I think I'm comfortable with Thor in that realm versus uh, just being another superhero. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah ha- having him be sort of this space being, and Asgard is basically like a planet that is. I connect with, you know? Well, it's funny you say that because as a character in the MCU, Thor is, is actually probably number one, if not number two, um, j- largely based off of Ragnarok, but then just as a character, people are, it, he's everybody's favorite character now. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting that in the comics, like that's clicking for you in the movies, it's clicking for a hell of a lot of people. Well, who thought, you know, that you know, five yeah. years ago, Thor would be this sort of you know, good across all mediums. I'll bring this up. That that's a, that's a good uh, way for me to bring up this point, which I noticed when I so when I finally sat down to read and I got to you know just open that first one seven oh four. Um, I was initially did this double take and one of these flashbacks where young Jane Foster looks exactly like Natalie Portman. Oh really? And I was like, oh. what the hell is going on? You know, like there's just this moment of like I, this. Wow, you know, like that—that that is a striking resemblance. And then I flip the page, and there's a scene with um, Freya and Loki, and I, I realize, oh, this is uh, Tom Hiddleston as Loki, mm-hmm. and so they are doing this on purpose, like they are drawing those characters as the actors from the MCU, <laughs> you know. And <clears throat> it was—it was just funny because, you know, when I met. Jane Foster as Thor. Um, and, and she, like you said, her, her physical appearance changes when she picks up the hammer, she's blonde. She has this helm on that covers her eyes. It, you know, it could be anyone really. Um, but when she, uh, lets go of the hammer and transforms back into Jane Foster, she's very frail. Um, she's lost her hair from the chemotherapy. And so she is unrecognizable as a Natalie Portman stand in. But when they do these flashbacks to her as a young girl or an adult, I, you know, I'm going like, oh my God, this guy went back and watched like the professional and oh, drew, <laughs> oh, wow. you know, drew Natalie from that as a young girl. God, now <laughs> I want to see, now I want to see a limited, like four or five episode, like miniseries with this starring Natalie Portman. And then like, maybe just make like Ronda Rousey or somebody like, you know, the female Thor, you know, when she's got oh, the hammer. Oh my God. 
But just like imagine, and imagine you don't know that at first. Imagine it just starts with like female Thor, and at the very end of episode one, she lets go, and you hear like this crack of thunder or something, and it's it's like cancer-stricken Natalie Portman like looking up at the mirror at herself. Like how mind blowing and and satisfying would that be to go? That oh would my be, god, honestly, they're doing it! Oh my god, that would be unbelievably satisfying for MCU Phase Four or whatever the oh, hell they're Christ. on, where it's like because uh, uh, Hemsworth is the perfect unworthy Thor Odinson, you know what I mean? Yeah, They've yeah. already almost set that up, you know, yeah. where he's, he's lost his eye. The unworthy Thor has lost an arm. Uh, unworthy Thor is fighting with a battle ax and, you know, uh, Hemsworth now has one. It's like, yeah, after this infinity garbage, like go to that, that would be amazing. Like he, he could just come in from Wouldn't time really- to time as sort of the agent Colson of the Natalie Portman series. It'd be cool too, because I know like Natalie Portman was kind of not into doing the part anymore. Yeah. And um, and I think from, from the fans perspective too, like we'd much rather get what we got in Ragnarok, but this would be like the perfect way to pull her back in. She could really just, I mean, she could, she could potentially get Oscar nominated from something like this (laughs) again. I mean, she would bring that like, that like gravitas to it, you know, that would be, and that would be great to see playing off Hemsworth now as sort of the goofy Thor. Yeah. Which is, that, yeah. Honestly, that's the thing that doesn't work for me in the very first Thor movie is having Kat Dennings be this like comic relief to, you know, Hemsworth being like kind of serious and Natalie being serious. And it's like, yeah, that, that was just a, a weird chemistry between them. You know, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. St- Stellar Skateboard was also very serious in that as their sort of mentor. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm just, I, you know, I, I love it when everything, uh, when you get that like perfect sort of comic arc, you know, the good beginning and the good ending. <laughs> so uh, I will note that um, I actually read those first uh, Goddess of Thunder trades, I think totally on comiXology. Okay. And, so obviously grab the like uh, floppy single issues for a few of these. And and that one single issue I had to grab on comiXology. I did notice that I enjoyed the single issues that were in like the paper format. When I had to go from the paper to the comiXology format, it really threw me off because all of a sudden during these big battle scenes, I wasn't able to scan the whole page and mm. see this like, grand design of the page. I mean, obviously I could like zoom out and do it, but in the guided view, I was getting a lot of little tiny panels Mm -hmm. and um, you know, that, that was just an an interesting thing to me uh, because I went, you know, went paper, digital paper in my issue. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, but I think, like I said, with unworthy Thor, it's not, um, you know, it's, it's a, it's a great superhero book, but it is a superhero book. So there's no reason to turn this into like some souvenir that you need to keep on your, you know, bookshelf forever and ever. <laughs> if yeah, you, yeah. if digital's more convenient for you, I think this is totally fine to read digitally. It's uh, the art's wonderful. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'll pick it up and read it again, but it's not, yeah, it's not like an artifact that I need to own. I have to check you on one point though, and maybe I misheard it, but did you say Stellan skateboard? Is that what I you said? said stellar or? skateboard. Stellar yeah. skateboard. Okay. <laughs> you did that intentionally. I'm like, his name is Stellan Skarsgård. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm just like I'm making sure I heard that right. And like, if anybody at home is listening, like, wait, well, did I, you say stellar skateboard? Like what? That was an inside joke to the, uh, how did this get made fans? Ah, <laughs> excellent. Okay. Who have, uh, locked stellar skateboards, Wikipedia page, uh, or caused it to be locked. Because every time they mention a movie with him, all the fans go 
change his name on Wikipedia. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> Just like uh, actor activist Ron Silva. <laughs> <laughs> now I have to look this up. Uh, anyway, yeah, that that does it for uh, the mighty Thor in in more ways than one. So um, I'm I'm going to try to read something like artsy and weird for next episode because man, I've been on a superhero kick for a long time. We did Vision and Batman, and uh, I did Unworthy Thor, and we did Infinity War uh, slash Gauntlet. And yeah, you're right. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, I've um, I got to make up for it with some some indie reads. Well, that also does it for this episode of Coffee and Comics. You can find us anywhere podcasts are downloaded. Apple Podcasts, um, not Spotify yet. We're working on that, hopefully soon. Um, Stitcher, Google Play, Pocket Casts, uh, SoundCloud, and you can find all of our stuff at findusthere.org. Also search for Coffee and Comics on Instagram, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. We usually post quite a few uh, you know, pictures and notes and things like that. You can find me on Twitter. I am by Taylor Trask, same handle on Instagram. And where can folks find you? I am Hey Todd A, all, all places. All places. So check us yep. out. Download, tell your friends if you like the episode. Let us know. Give us a shout. If you didn't like the episode, really let us know because we love having arguments and, <laughs> and all that good stuff too. But yeah, it's been great. It's been fun. We'll see you guys next week. Yep. Catch you later. Thank you.